Welcome to Pigskin Frenzy on this wonderful Tuesday afternoon. Thank you for joining us. I'm Joel Norris, and whether you're watching on YouTube, listening on Spotify, listening on Podbean or Apple, a big thank you for taking some time out of your Tuesday to just sit back, watch, and listen to some college football coverage presented by me. Now, if you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe to the channel, like each episode, leave comments down below. If you're listening on Podbean, Spotify, or Apple, just follow on there and share around with others. Now, we have X, Instagram, and Facebook as well. All you got to do is type in Pigskin Frenzy, follow and like the pages there. You'll get episode updates. You'll get news and highlights from across college and NFL football. You'll get trivia questions on Instagram stories. Go and answer today's as well as all things up to date for Pigskin Frenzy. Now then, <laughs> now then, that was a, a flowy intro. That flowed. That was crisp, clean. We're ready to go. College football day today. A lot happened in college football in week eight. Two and two for picks this week. Uh, things that I expected happened. Some things that I didn't expect it happen, and they kind of let me down a little bit. Passionate about college football, ladies and gentlemen. If you don't notice, I I mean, I'm passionate about football in general, but I'm very passionate about college football. So we're going to see some of that passion come out of me in just a little bit. We're going to talk about these games, recap week eight. We're also going to dive deep into week nine's top matchups, and we're going to go to the polls like we always do. Reminder, this is the last week of the college football AP poll. I'll probably remind you once again or later on in the episode, but we're also going to talk about some off-the-field stuff, and we're going to kick it off with that and you just here in a little bit. Stuff going on with some injuries, two big key injury updates, as well as what's going on up in the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. So we're going to subscribe to the channel. Just keep plugging into Pigskin Frenzy. Follow, like, share around with others on all platforms, as well as X, Instagram, and Facebook for all things up-to-date for Pigskin Frenzy. Now, let me get the uh, the uh, Android device here, the Samsung device here on my, cell- on my cellular device to talk about this because I have some notes for this as well as, you know, paper notes. Anyway. Michigan, 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 the number two team in the nation, top two team in the nation, ladies and gentlemen, top two team in the nation. When you look at them um, and you think, you know, think of Michigan, by the way, J.J. McCarthy, Michigan quarterback, final score, 49 zip. They defeated Michigan State. They look good doing it. Number one in the new Heisman odds, J.J. McCarthy, Michigan quarterback. So, hey. They got it going right now. Who's got it better than them? No one yet. And we're going to talk about this. So earlier in the year, some off-the-field issues, Jim Harbaugh, was self, they self-imposed a head coaching three-game suspension for Jim Harbaugh. He sat out three games and was suspended. He, you know, didn't, he didn't coach until he came back. Everything was fine and dandy. Until, <laughs> until, that big until happened. And the NCAA came out with some more stuff and some more things happened. And I'm just going to paraphrase this. Michigan is now being investigated by the NCAA for sign stealing. If you do not know about this, hence the 2017 Houston Astros. Uh, and uh, it is happening now with Michigan. And the Big Ten has been alerted. The NCAA and in, in all of college football has been alerted now. What is going on in Ann Arbor? So now, let me just get some notes here. Michigan analyst and staffer Connor Stallions has been suspended with pay due to the NCAA investigation. He was the one that was kind of behind all of it, but this could also lend towards the coaching staff, i.e. Jim Harbaugh. 
What does this mean for him in general? We're going to get to that in a minute. Uh, but let's just say, let's just talk about what, uh, uh, how good Pete Thamel is for reporting on this for a second. He is such a great writer for ESPN. Go and tw- listen to his, uh, read his stuff. Go and listen to him on College Game Day, football, you name it, on ESPN platforms everywhere. ESPN senior writer Pete Thamel quoted and tweeted, Michigan staffer Connor Stallions, he bought tickets for more than 30 games at 11 Big Ten schools over the past three years. This is his quote, not mine. Also, video evidence of sideline taping is expected to be sent to the NCAA this week, caught by stadium surveillance this year. What does this mean for Jim Harbaugh? Well, it seems like the NCAA is quite after Jim Harbaugh, if they, if you ask me. They seem like they are really into, you know, trying to catch him and trying to get him. Um, and it's not right. I mean, all this stuff's coming to light. It's not right, and it's not at all good what Michigan is doing. It just seems like the only team that could really is it is really just can can hold themselves back is Michigan. Now look, when you think about bowl games and everything, this could cost you that. Okay, this can get you into some major trouble. And when you look at Michigan, and I'm not, I'm not going to take too long on this. I don't know if this the answer to the question about what does this mean for Jim Harbaugh. I don't really know what this means for Jim Harbaugh yet. We're going to just have to see how this all plays out, but. When you look at it, I talked about this a little bit on Instagram, on social media for Pigskin Frenzy, but when you look at everything going on, everything going on with Michigan right now, they got the whole world in their hands when it comes to football. See, this this universe, guys, I, on the camera listen, looking looking at me, if you're just picture me on, if you're listening on audio, just picture me with my hand held up, video, you can just see me doing this. This is the universe and the hand. Michigan's at the center of it, okay? They're in the top four right now with Florida State. They're in the top four with Georgia as well as Ohio State currently. Now, when you look at everything, uh, Michigan right now is the most complete team in college football. Doesn't matter their schedule. Doesn't matter their schedule. Yes, their schedule was is a little not not is a little bit on the easier side. It's not not the most difficult schedule. However, when you look at them. They are the most complete team in college football when it comes to offensive line, front seven, everything. They are the most complete team on all sides of the ball, special teams, defense, and offense. They are the most complete team in college football. They have the whole world in front of them. The only thing that can stop them, probably from winning the national championship or being in it, is themselves. And I, I I truly wholeheartedly believe that. And we're going to get into that with the on-field stuff about Michigan here in a little bit when we talk about Penn State and Ohio State because I really want to talk about that game in here, here in a little bit. But Michigan uh, suspends staffer Connor Stallions for... I guess he was the sole perpetrator the, or one of the perpetrators behind the sign stealing. We'll have more updates on this as this investigation continues, but right now it's, it's, it's looking iffy. So let's just hang tight on that and what's going on with Michigan down in Ann Arbor. We'll keep up and I'll keep you guys up to date on what's going on there as we have to move on. So move on. Two things really quick. Texas quarterback Quinn Ewers is expected to miss at least three to four weeks with a grade two AC joint sprain in his shoulder, his throwing shoulder. What does this mean for BYU Saturday? Well, according to a lot of sources that I know that I've been hearing, uh, Texas may start quarterback Malik Murphy and may 
get to play. May, you may get to see freshman sensation phenom Arch Manning coming into the game against BYU. So Quinn Ewers is out. Huge loss for Texas. Uh, How is this going to affect before the Big 12 title game? I don't know, but you lose Quinn Ewers, star player there. That He's kind of the, the big key to your offense. We're going to see how that plays out for BYU. Now, another update before we go into the Utah-USC game later, and I, this is probably going to be that. USC is going to be a theme of this episode. Just keep, keep, on, keep on track with me here. Utah, after, after the game against USC, Kyle Whittingham, head coach of the Utes, has announced that quarterback Cam Rising will not play this season. He will not play. He is still recovering from a torn ACL that he suffered against Penn State in the in last year's Rose Bowl game, he is out for the remainder of the year and will not start. It's looking like Bryson Barnes may be the guy for them heading into the rest of the games this year. They have Oregon this week. Keynote, it's at Salt Lake. It's in Salt Lake this season. So let's keep it keep that in mind. So, <laughs> so, so big injuries. We got the off the field stuff happening. How are we feeling? We're feeling pretty good. Keep plugging in, please. I'm glad you're feeling good. Now, talk about the off-the-field issues. Michigan, we talked about what's going on with, you know, happening with the off-the-field injuries with Quinn Ewers, quarterback. He's out for three to four weeks, and Cam Rising's out for the year. Let's talk about some college football games. Now, let's recap week eight before we go into the polls, and then we we'll go into the week nine top matchups. Now, week eight, let's just kick it off really simple. Florida State Duke, I am going the opposite here. I'm just going to randomize these games. The top matches we talked about, starting off with Florida State and Duke. I said that it was going to be a closer game at first with Florida State pulling away. I was right. Final score, Florida State 38, Duke 20. It was 20-17 to 17 at half. And then Florida State ends up pulling away. And, and they look good doing it, right? They look good doing it. Jordan Travis, 27 for 36 with 268 yards and two touchdowns with an interception. He also had 10 carries with 62 yards and a touchdown. Rodney Hill, one of their fine running backs, six carries with 30 yards and a touchdown. Trey Benson had 10 carries with 26 yards. Johnny Wilson, five receptions with 58 yards. Keon Coleman, two receptions with 54 yards. Shaheen Bell, eight receptions with 53 yards. Lawrence Toel Philly, three carries with 23 yards, four receptions with 40 yards, and another touchdown reception. He is an, also another fine back for this Seminoles team. Keziah Holmes, three carries with 11 yards, seven touchdown, seven yard touchdown reception. And the defensive back, Shyam, Shyam Brown. Shyam Brown got one takeaway on the defense for the Knowles. He was the big highlight for this Knowles defense. They were solid. Florida State looked pretty solid in the second half. They started off a little bit slow. It was, it was, they started off a tiny bit slow, a little bit, but not too good because they kind of start, you know, they, they started getting to a rhythm, okay? They started getting to a rhythm midway through the first, and, and then it turned into a back-and-forth game until halftime, and then Florida State ended up running away with it. They looked solid. They still look like that top team in the ACC, the top team to beat, and they look like a playoff-ready team, if you ask me. 7-0 for the Florida State Seminoles. Let's go with Duke really quick. Riley Leonard did play. He wasn't supposed to play, but he suited up and played through it. Riley Leonard, 7 for 16 with 69 yards and an interception. Yeah, and it's because of the injury. He played through a uh, a heavily taped ankle, and his ankle was a little, you know, 
hurt. It was a little hurt. So when you look at it and you think about it, it's like, okay, I, I understand, right? Uh, Jacquez Moore, 16 carries with 110 yards and one touchdown, two receptions with 26 yards. He was the big highlight for this Duke Blue Devils team. Jordan Waters, 13 carries with 39 yards. Shamir Haggins, three receptions with 19 yards. Defensive back Chandler Rivers was a highlight for this defense with three tackles and an interception. They played well on both sides of the ball. It's just Florida State just kind of outmatched them. And when you look at this game, that's it. That's just the whole purpose and the whole premise of it. Riley Leonard, it probably could have been a little bit closer if Riley Leonard wasn't too badly banged up. No, that's not me blaming Riley Leonard for being hurt. I am I'm a hurt for him. I, I don't want Riley like a quarterback like Riley Leonard to be hurt because Riley Leonard's awesome. He's a solid quarterback. It's just I know what ankle injuries can do to you. I listen. I, I, I personally, I played sports when I was when I was little. I broke my foot playing, and I was playing on a bad foot. It kind of limits you. Riley Leonard being limited is a, one of those things that kind of hurts Duke a little bit. But when you're playing a team like Florida State, it's going to hurt you. But when you're playing somebody else, it may not hurt you. So uh, you, you have the backup come in. But Riley Leonard felt like he needed to play. He felt like he, he was trying to give it all he has. And he did give it all he had this past Saturday night against the Knolls. But Florida State just had too much talent on the other side, on both sides of the ball, to let this game slip away from them. So final score, Florida State 38, Duke 20. Florida State 7-0, Duke 5-2. They're just going to keep rolling. Both teams are going to keep rolling. I like Duke. I'm still high on Duke. But with Riley Leonard hurt, what's going to happen to some of these, you know, in some of these other key games they got left. So Florida State going to keep rolling. They look like a playoff team and they look like a top, a top four team coming up next, next Tuesday for Halloween in the playoff rankings. So, Florida State 38, Duke 20. Florida State's going to keep rolling. Duke going to go to the drawing board as they got Louisville coming in, or they got to go to play Louisville next week here. So moving on, Alabama, Tennessee, the third Saturday of October. I said that this game was going to be a game where uh, it was going to be close at first. Bama pulls away at the end. Um, Partially right, partially wrong. Tennessee in the first half played lights out. They actually had the lead 20 to 7. Second half, Bama, completely different team. Bama scored 27 unanswered, 27 to nothing. It's in the second half to beat the Volunteers. Final score, Alabama 34, Tennessee 20. They could not get anything going in the half and half. Tennessee couldn't in the second half. It was all Alabama from start to finish, from third quarter, start of the third quarter to the end of the game, all Alabama on both sides of the ball. Now, Jalen Milrow, 14 for 21 with 220 yards and two touchdowns with one interception. Jace McClellan, 27 carries with 115 yards and a touchdown. Roy Dell Williams, six carries with 20 yards. Isaiah Bond, three receptions with 77 yards and a touchdown. Jermaine Burton, four receptions with 62 yards and a touchdown. The defense stepped up in a big way in the second half. They played you know, played with a lot of intensity, led by defensive back Caleb Downs. He picked up nine total tackles. And linebacker Deontay Lawson, picking up 12 total tackles. Let's go with Tennessee really quick before we get into this game and we will you know break it down a little bit faster than you know the others. Uh, Joe Milton, 
He he played good in the first half. He kind of just slowed down and was non-existent in the second half. 28 for 41 with 271 yards and two touchdowns with 15 carries with 59 yards. Dylan Sampson, one of their fine running backs, four carries at 28 yards. Jabari Small, eight carries with 24 yards. Jalen Wright, 11 carries with 22 yards and seven receptions with 44 yards. Squirrel White had 10 receptions with 111 yards and a touchdown. Ramal, Ramal Keaton, he had five receptions with 71 yards. McCollin Castles, two receptions with 12 yards and a touchdown. And defensive back Jalen McCullough was a big highlight for this Tennessee defense as he racked up seven tackles and an interception. So when you look at Alabama and you look at Tennessee, uh, it was one of those things where at first, and this is kind of, this is my thing, and, I, and I'm seeing a trending a pattern here. Bama, uh, in this, so far in some of these games, has either A, besides the Texas game, has either A, started slow and finished strong, or B, started started great and then finished finished bad or finished, you know, kind of what kind of finished low, right? This is what I'm seeing from Alabama. And, and that's okay. That's just who Bama's going to find a way to win. That is who Bama is this year. Alabama is a team where they're just going to find a way to scratch and claw and win. This is what I've been seeing from them all year. Run they established the run game. They have a, a a pretty you know pretty substantial run game, and then Jalen Milrow is gonna hit hit him with a with a bomb or two every now and then, and then touchdown Alabama, and that's how they score. That's how they play, and then they play with lights out defense. They have a winning defense, and that's how they win their ball games. They're not Bryce Young, Jameer Gibbs, and you know Jamison Williams and all these guys on their team. They don't have all that. Run the ball effectively, set up a deep ball every now and then to Jermaine Burton or Isaiah Bond, and then they play substantial and lights out defense. That is what I'm seeing on this piece of paper. And that's what I saw Saturday when they played the game itself. And when you look at it, and that's how the pace of the game, that's how they want it. Now they enter a bye week. What happens? In two weeks, or not, or t- technically two weeks, uh, next Saturday, not this coming up Saturday on the 28th, but November 4th, next Saturday, when LSU comes rolling into town. That is my biggest question. What's going to happen there? Bama's the favorite early on. Uh, I expect that. LSU looking solid on offense. That's the best offense in the, in the SEC on paper and in and in, in, in just fact. You look on, on the field, how they play in Baton Rouge on Saturday nights, how they look, that's they're the best offense in the SEC by by far. They're the second best offense in college football behind Washington currently. Um, it's one of those teams where you're gonna if you if you if you let Tennessee move the ball on you, what's gonna happen if LSU does it? LSU's a team that's not really going to stop. They're going to keep pushing. They're going to keep pushing. Now, back in the day, it was one of those things where where was the offense for LSU? Now it's like, where's the defense for LSU? I'll break that game down later on. But Bama's going to have to find a way to, you know, play full 60 minutes of football on the fourth. And that is my biggest question about Alabama. Can they either A, start the game strong and finish the game strong and play a 60-minute game, or... Is it going to be another 
Is it going to be another, you know, starting slow or, or finishing slow and starting good or, you know, what have you, or finishing strong or what have you? What, what's it going to be? Those are my biggest, that's the biggest really question that I have about Bama heading into the November 4th game against LSU. Not talent and and not the will to win because I think they could probably, actually I know they could be LSU. But I know that LSU could probably slip one up on Alabama as well. That's a game that will probably decide the West, maybe, uh, if Ole Miss has anything to say about it. So, Tennessee, what does this mean for them? They go back to the drawing board. Uh, they have Georgia coming up in a few weeks. They have Mizzou left to play. Uh, Tennessee's got a tricky game Saturday that we're going to talk about here in just a tiny bit. Um and I'm kind of feeling for them a little bit. So we're going to see what happens with Tennessee. Uh, they didn't really have any life on offense, sort of. It seemed like they were kind of predictable in the play-calling aspect of it. Their defense was holding them as long as they could, but the running game was kind of slowing them down on defense in the second half. And I think that's what that's what I expected a little bit as they pulled, as Alabama pulled away, and that's what I was expecting, you know, when it came to Bama. And in this game, Alabama really won won the game with defense. Joe Milton got a, a late in the game, fumbled the ball, uh, like a, almost like a strip sack and a fumble, and Bama took it in for a scooping score to ice the game. So I, I kind of felt like Tennessee just kind of was a little bit more predictable a little bit in the second half, kind of slowed down, and on the defense in front for Tennessee, just kind of got tired. Def- their defense is stingy. And I, I think they could play a little bit better defense than that, what I saw. But they just got tired and outmatched in the second half by a strong Alabama team. And that's that's pretty much it about Tennessee. So final score, Alabama 34, Tennessee 20. Bama's on by this week. Tennessee, they got a tricky game against Kentucky at Kentucky. So that's back-to-back road games there. We're going to talk about that one here in just a little bit. Now, moving on, we're going to talk about Ohio State, Penn State. I want to talk about that, and I'm going to add, you know, when I was talking to you about earlier about Michigan. So Ohio State, Penn State, I said Penn State was probably going to was going to upset them. I thought Penn State could have done it just because of the way how Ohio State's been kind of tested this year in certain aspects of the game. I thought Penn State could have provided them a challenge and beat them at that challenge, and I was wrong. Final score, Ohio State 20, Penn State 12. Ohio State did end up pulling away with the game, uh, and I'm not really shocked because I think Ohio State could have done it, but I just expected Penn State to do it as well. So uh, let's go with the stats, and then I'll talk to you about the game. Kyle McCord, 22 for 35 with 286 yards and a touchdown. Mayan Williams, 24 carries with 62 yards and a touchdown. Chip uh, Chip Traynham, 9 carries with 22 yards, 19-yard reception. Marvin Harrison Jr., or as Gus Johnson called him, Maserati Marv uh, got 11 receptions with 162 yards and a touchdown. Tight end Cade Stover, four receptions with 70 yards. And defensive back Davidson, Inga, uh, if I can put I'm sorry, Ego, ben, Ego Benson. Ego Benson was the highlight for the Buckeyes defense with five tackles. Ego Benoson, Ego Benoson, Davidson, Ego Benoson, my wording. He was the highlight of the, of the Buckeyes defense with five tackles. So, before we go back to Ohio State and the whole whole game, let's talk about Penn State's stats. And you're going to think, really? 
Yeah. Uh, 18 for 42 for Drew Allard with 191 yards and a touchdown. Nick Singleton, nine carries, 48 yards. Katron Allen, nine carries with 26 yards. Keandre Lambert-Smith, six receptions with 53 yards. Theo Johnson, their tight end, two receptions with 39 yards. Caden Saunders, two receptions with 35 yards and a touchdown. Penn State's defense played with toughness and intensity, but couldn't hold on later in the game when it counted. So, Penn State's defense, and I'm going to give them credit, the uh, the, the King twins, Kobe and Caden King, they gave them all they had. That that secondary and that defense gave, gave Ohio State all they had. But the Penn State offense was not doing them any favors. The Penn State offense looked really predictable. It was weird. They, they didn't play how they've been playing all year. They... They, they they played kind of down. They play they, they played really one dimensional. And in credit Ohio State's defense, they they made them look one dimensional for sure with their looks. But I think with the talent and the quarterback and Drew Oliver they got, it just looked weird. It looked like a a thing that it just didn't look right. If you if you if you want to if you want to add the words to it, it drew Allard and the Penn State offense did not look right, and it's one of those things where you look at it and it's like, man, you know, are were they a little overhyped? Uh, their their offense, you know, when it comes to a challenge, Penn State wasn't up for it in this game, and it was you know they were they felt like they okay we're gonna we're gonna challenge this team. They did on defense, on offense. They were kind of a little bit one-dimensional and didn't provide enough good looks on offense to score points. There we go. They weren't ready for the challenge against Ohio State in, in the in the in the horseshoe in Columbus Saturday Saturday morning. So, uh, what does this mean for Ohio State? They look good, but there were some areas where they looked kind of kind of shabby. I mean, or not, or they they didn't look, you know. The best, if you will. Ohio State looked good. They didn't look great, but they looked good. Penn State didn't look all that impressive on offense, but they looked solid on defense. Now, what does this mean for both teams when it comes in playing Michigan? Now, that's going to be rough. I think two teams are going to have to, when you look at how Michigan's playing right now on the level and the talent that they got, they're the most complete team in college football. I think right now, Michigan and this is just my take, not only beats Penn State on November the 11th, but they also beat Ohio State Thanksgiving weekend and the last weekend of the regular season. I think they beat both teams. I think Michigan just looks right now better than the rest, and it's one of those things where you look at both teams and it's like, okay, right now, they are, for Ohio, Ohio State will probably come closer than Penn State, but I think when you look at, both of them, I don't think they are up there right now to beat Michigan. That's just my take on it. And I, I think that Michigan's, like I said, the most complete team in college football. When you look at those three teams, Michigan's better than both of them. And I think Michigan right now defeats both of them in a game. If you play, if they played right now, neutral site, home or away, Michigan beats both of them. So final score 2012 Ohio State routes Penn State. Penn State didn't look all that impressive on offense, but their defense played with a lot of intensity. They just kind of got tired out because they were on the field the majority of the time. Ohio State, they look solid, but I would say in some areas they need to clean it up. Uh 
They, 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 they did a little bit on the running game, but not a whole, whole lot. I would think for Ohio State to move forward and probably present a, a good challenge to Michigan is establish the running game a lot more. Kyle McCord's been playing good, but I think on the ground, they need a little bit of help moving the ball because they haven't been moving the ball a ton, and they're not really effective like they usually are running the ball. So I think if they run the ball a tiny bit more, Ohio State could probably present a, a good challenge to Michigan uh, come rivalry week and Thanksgiving weekend. So 2012, Ohio State beats Penn State. Moving on, let's talk about before we go into the polls and before we go into week nine preview and predictions, let's talk about Utah and USC. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, let me get a let me get a sip of my drink really quick before I talk about this. So, okay, sorry. I said USC was going to win this game. I said they were gonna you know find a way to win. Caleb Williams was gonna be himself. They were gonna you know score a touchdown late in the game. I watched the game. I saw how it ended, and I was thinking to myself, yep, same old, same old, and this is what we're going to talk about. Final score, Utah 34, USC 32. Wow. And I say that with the most sarcastic expression because I was like, okay, I'm I'm wrong, but I'm not really sure if I'm that shocked. Let's go with the stats before we head into, you know, you had, you know, before we talk about the game. Utah, Bryson Barnes, 14 for 23 with 235 yards and three touchdowns with one interception. Two carries with 57 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Jaquendon Jackson, the Texas running back transfer, 26 carries with 117 yards. 117 yards with 26 carries. Wow. Uh, Sayon Vakai. Sayon Vakai has been a our overall athlete for this team. Five receptions with 149 yards and two touchdowns, nine carries with 68 yards and two tackles because he plays safety as well. Two-way player, overall stud of a player. Devon Vale. Devon Vale, three receptions with 37 yards. Um, Matern, Money Parks, they call him Money. Money Parks, three receptions with 34 yards. Landon King also called a touchdown pass. And defensive end Van Fillinger was the big component for this huge defense. He racked up four tackles and a sack over Caleb Williams in that offense. Speaking of Caleb Williams, let's talk about the USC, you know, the USC stats. Before I break down some notes here, Caleb Williams, 24 for 34 with 256 yards, 10 carries with 27 yards and a touchdown. I'm going to get into that in a minute. Marshawn Lloyd, seven carries with 86 yards and a touchdown. Zachariah Branch had one rushing touchdown. Taj Washington, five receptions with 112 yards. Brendan Rice, five receptions with 34 yards. Dorian Singer, four receptions with 35 yards. Safety, Kalen Bullock, added a tabbed interception from Bryson Barnes. And defensive tackle, Bear Alexander, notched six total tackles. Overall, they didn't do a whole lot as a team and as a unit on defense. And I'm going to get to that in a minute. Now, Break down the game before we go to the notes. And this is where I go in with Utah and USC. Utah, they look phenomenal. Only one loss, only one conference loss, and that was to Oregon State. Because Oregon State is not a bad football team. They are not a bad football team. You got Washington, who struggled against Arizona State Saturday. They, they didn't even score an offensive touchdown. 
That's why Michael Penix is now number two in the Heisman race and not number one because he did not play the best of his abilities. Oregon number two, uh, Oregon State number three, and Utah's four. Utah's still in the thick of things. They're six and one. They only lost one game. They're bowl eligible. Kyle Winningham's excited. The bad news is they don't get Cam Rising back, so they're going to have to make do with everything that happens. And Bryson Barnes has been playing phenomenal. So let for the past few weeks, he's been playing phenomenal. So let Bryson Barnes get his chance and get his opportunity, right? So Utah has got a lot to play for, and they look good. On both sides of the ball, they look good on offense, and they look good on defense. They focused on defense in this game, and that is probably, in a way, was a key aspect of them winning this ball game. How it happened? (laughs) Bryson Barnes, 26-yard carry, and it led Cole Becker to a game-winning field goal, 34-32. Now, USC. Now, when they look at USC, USC ran. Caleb Williams ran for a, a short touchdown um, and for a rushing touchdown. And then he did not. This was the first game in a long time. I think this is a streak broken that he did not have a passing touchdown. The first game probably since his OU days has not had a passing touchdown. Uh, he's His Heisman stocked a little bit lower now. Everybody's thinking, oh, is he going to sit out? I'll have something to say about that in a minute. Um, so when you look at everything, uh, Caleb Williams, uh, ran for a touchdown and then there was some clock left. Uh, time management wasn't the best for Kyle Whittingham, but with Bryson Barnes taking it off and running for a 26 yard carry, the defense didn't stop them and they kicked the field goal and they ended up icing the game and Utah ended up beating them in the Coliseum. Now, Utah's fine. I just talked about Utah. Let's talk about USC for a little bit. Uh, uh, uh. Uh, now, you they lost to Notre Dame last week. Give them credit. They, you know, Notre Dame, they weren't ready for that game. This was a game that I expected, honestly. Uh, and, and, it, and, and it's not one of those, oh, we're going to, you know, come out and, you know, blow them out. I thought Utah was going to play them close. I thought this was probably going to be a good year to where USC can kind of get some revenge and pull away and get some revenge on Utah. It's a motivational game because they haven't beaten Utah in three years. Now make that four years because they lost to them this past Saturday. <laughs> and Utah ends up coming out and playing, having a perfect game plan for them and doing what they always did, and they beat them. They beat them again. Uh, that's 0-3. Let me just go with the notes really quick. Utah is now the first team since the Pac-12 expansion in 2011 to beat USC four games straight. Lincoln Riley is 0-3 against Utah. USC's defense gave up 482 total yards. 482 total yards. Now, I let me look up. I, I and, and, and I'm on my phone here for a second. Uh, when you look at the rankings on defense. Total defense. When you look at total defense, they are kind of far down. I would say in the hundreds. Um, I think last time I checked, it was 140, 104. 104 is what it was. There are 104 in total defense as I look the notes on my phone. I apologize. I didn't have my notes pulled up like a professional, unprofessional of me. But, 
Nonetheless, 482 total yards against Utah. They have they are the, they are 104th in total defense. They have a solid offense. They are one of the best offensive teams in the country. It's statistics. Y'all can look it up. 104 in defense. Defense was a big struggle in this game once again. Not only once again, it just seems like the total attitude of it, they just don't care. And, and, and it's one of those things where it's like, oh, well, we do care. And they may care, but they act like they don't. Like, when you look at the team overall, they act like, okay, we're USC. It's, you know, we're going to go in there and, and win, you know, win it all. Here's the thing. Besides Cal, I expect them to fully beat Cal this Saturday. After that, the November 4th, November 11th, November 18th, those are three games that you probably got to come to play for. You have Oregon. I'm sorry, you have Washington, Oregon, then UCLA, back to back to back. Honestly, my 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 hopes and, and my thoughts on USC against those three opponents right now aren't really, I'm not really confident in those three games against for USC. I don't have confidence in them out of those three games. I do not. Uh, those three games, they could very well lose. There is a shot that USC can actually go either 8-4 and four or 7-5. and five. If they lose to Cal, it could be 7-5 and five for them. 7-5 with, a, te- with, a, with a, a team that was supposed to go to the Pac-12 title game and supposed to go to a New Year's Six Bowl and or college football playoff. It is crazy to see what's happening in USC right now. To me, I think USC, and I like Lincoln Riley. I like I, I, Lincoln Riley is a is a fun coach to watch. He's a good coach, and he knows that hey, he can lead some of it, lead, lead a lot of his quarterbacks and some of his players to promised land. But right now, the promised land's not looking promising. If that makes sense, it doesn't look very promising. Um, there have been rumors that Lincoln Riley has his eye on the NFL currently. Uh, has one eye looking in, towards the NFL to see if there's any coaching jobs opening up because he's not getting any younger and he is looking to probably make a move at some point to the National Football League as a head coach. If he is indeed, as a rumor, putting out feelers, quote-unquote, for the NFL, what does this mean for USC? The Big Ten move, what does this mean for them in general? Is this the reason why that they're not playing to the standard of USC football? This offseason with USC is going to show if Lincoln Riley is staying at USC and I want him to rebound. I do want USC and I do want Lincoln Riley to rebound because I like Lincoln Riley. If he rebounds, if he rebounds, the main thing they need to focus on is the defense. Can they focus on the defense? It's going to be very telling to see what changes are going to be made. That is the big thing about USC. Currently, right now, USC, I don't favor them in UCLA. I don't favor them against Washington or Oregon currently. USC right now, when I look at them, is a team that is going about to go 8-4, and 7-5. Uh, it's looking like their complexion. They just really don't care. I don't really expect them to. Uh, but I said I think they're honestly. This is my my honest thoughts. Uh, the two likeliest wins that they could have is against UCLA and Cal. But I do not expect them to beat Washington and Oregon currently right now at this point. I do not expect them to beat Oregon State either. If they play Oregon State currently, 
I would not favor them again in a game against Oregon State. They just don't seem like they have the mentality as a team currently to compete with other teams. And I think right now, uh, the I think it's it's something like, and this is a good thought to have. Uh, a lot of these players, it feels like it's not really chemistry as a team. It feels like it's a player mindset, a me mindset. There's a lot of individual. The individuals on that team, but where's the team aspect of USC? I'm looking for it, and I can't see it. That is my big thing about USC. Their defense and and what I'm seeing as a team instead of, you know, and they're, they're individuals, not really a team. So team chemistry and defense is my biggest thing, what's going on with USC. Uh, I hope Lincoln Riley turns it around next year. Um, this was This is a very underachieving back half of the season for USC and I, I want USC to come back and I want Lincoln Riley to come back. I want Lincoln Riley to show everybody, hey, we're still in the thick of things, but I think a big change of this starts with the defense. I've been saying it all off all off season. I've been saying Lincoln Riley needs to fix the defense. It just seems like no one's really caring about the defense right now. They don't really care. They don't really put any effort into fixing or changing the defense because they're all thinking about scoring points and offense. But you're going to need a defense to probably fit the, fit the bill, fit the complete, complete have a completion of the team, and to win key ball games and to probably get into the college football playoffs. So right now, I'm not seeing any of that from USC. Uh, I do, like I said, I do not favor them against Washington or Oregon currently. Um, they played Oregon State. I wouldn't favor them against Oregon State either. Right now, final score: thirty-four, thirty-two. Utah defeats USC. USC just kind of just don't know really what else to say besides USC. Is USC kind of needs to go in a different direction when it comes to defense and. I think that's the biggest solution right now is fixing the defense. That's number one change and focus more as a team mindset instead of focusing on more of an individualistic mindset to win these ball games. That's the big thing about USC. And I'm getting passionate right now because it's basic football. It's basic stuff. They're running basic plays on this defense, but they can't stop it. They cannot stop it. I don't know why, but they can't. Final score, 34-32. Utah beats USC again. And USC right now is going back to the drawing board uh, against Cal Saturday. Let's go to the polls really quick. That was the Week 8 recap. I'm pulling up the polls currently right now. So, AP polls. The last AP poll before next Tuesday. The college football playoff rankings are next Tuesday on Halloween and by the way, next week, I'm going to promote this now. We're not going to talk about the AP, the AP polls. I'm going to give you guys my my version of the rankings, of the, the, the playoff rankings, before the college football playoff rankings come out because the episode will most likely be released before the episode comes out. So the frenzy college football playoff rankings, the frenzy college football playoff rankings will be released next Tuesday on next week's episode, next Tuesday's college football episode of Pigskin Frenzy. I'm excited about that. I told you I was going to do something with the rankings. I'll make up my own rankings, and I will give you who's my number one to who's my 25. So let's go with the AP polls for the last time this season. Number one, Georgia. 
Number one, Georgia. They have a game against Florida. I'm curious to see what happens with Brock Bowers. I'm going to get into that in a minute. Michigan, the number two, 8-0. Michigan looks good. Number three, Ohio State at 7-0. They look good against Penn State. Uh, look good. I wouldn't say phenomenal, but they look good. Florida State looked pretty solid against Duke. They pulled away late. Washington kind of looked not the not the really the best team. They didn't have a good game against Arizona State, but they're still at number five. Oklahoma at six. They were in a close one with UCF, 31-29. Oklahoma, they survived UCF as UCF was giving them all they had. Texas, they survived a close one against Houston. They were Houston was giving Texas all they had as well. We're going to see how Malik Murphy and, and or Arch Manning does coming up against BYU and in the next three to four weeks with Quinn Ewers being out with that AC joint sprain. Number seven, Texas. Number eight, Oregon. They look solid against Washington State. They had a prime good game there. They have a tough game against Utah Saturday. Let's see what happens there. Number nine, Alabama, not moving up two spots from 11 to nine. They're back in the top 10. They're number nine, and they're on by after a tough and good win against Tennessee for an SEC West showdown and a matchup that could decide the West against LSU. Number 10, Penn State. They dropped three spots from seven to 10 after a uh, tough loss to Ohio State in the shoe. They're 6-1. and one. Oregon State moves up from 12 to 11. They look solid. Another good win for Oregon State. Ole Miss, they beat Auburn in a tough one. Ole Miss kind of looked a little slow in the game on offense, but they, they found a way to get it done with Jackson Dart leading the way for them. They're at number 12. Utah, number 13, after beating USC, they move up one spot. Notre Dame moves up from 15 to 14. They're at 6-2, and two, number 14 there. Number 15, LSU. LSU look solid against Army. They move up from 19 to 15. Four spots there. They look pretty good. Uh, Jaden Daniels is now in the thick of the Heisman conversation. Uh, 62 to nothing against Army. Impressive game there. Uh, it only takes... It only takes a couple couple things to happen. One, you got to beat Alabama, and two, you Ole Miss has got to lose one game. They got to lose to either A and M or Georgia, um, and that should do it. And LSU, if they win out, goes to the, wins the West. So let's see what happens there. Uh, it's going to be a tough game. LSU, Bama, November fourth. That's next Saturday. They both are on bye weeks heading into the game against each other in Tuscaloosa. 16, Missouri, 7-1. They look solid against South Carolina. They move up four spots to 16. North Carolina surprised me. They lost a tough one, a 31-27 game to Virginia. They're now, Virginia's now 2-5. Heartbreaker loss. Late interception from Drake May sealed the game. They are now at 17. 6-1 North Carolina, no longer undefeated. Florida State's the only undefeated team in the ACC. Louisville up three spots. They are back up in the thick of things. 18 for Louisville after, you know, moving up you know moving up three spots. But they're, they came off of a bye week and they moved up three spots. So, let's see what happens here. Louisville's got a tough game against Duke, and we'll get into that in a minute. Air Force at 19, they're 7-0 in the Mountain West. They look pretty solid, and they look prime to win it all in the Mountain West. So number 20, Air or number 19, Air Force. Number 20, Duke. After dropping four, they were four spots. Four spots at 16. They dropped to 20 after a heartbreaking loss to Florida State. 21, Tennessee. They dropped four spots after losing to Alabama. Tulane moves up from 23 to 22 after a good win against North Texas. UCLA moves up two spots to 23 after a tough win against Cal. USC 
drops six spots and goes to 24 after losing a tough one against Utah. You already know my thoughts on USC. And number 25, James Madison at 7-0 in the Sun Belt. They look solid in that conference. James Madison does. They play Old Dominion coming up this weekend. Now, that's what, that was the top 25 AP polls. Some of the same old, same, same old things. I'm surprised about North Carolina. That was a game that I expected that, you know, they were going to win, but they didn't. I'm surprised about that one. I'm curious to see about what's going to happen with USC after what happened and what's been going on with them. I'm curious to see what happens with Tennessee because they're in a tricky spot right now, and I'm going to get into that in a minute. Duke and Louisville are both in tricky spots, and we're going to talk about that in a minute as well. That was the AP Top 25. The last one that we're going to talk about for the year before we here at Pigskin Frenzy to start doing our own college football playoff rankings ahead of next week's first release of the college football playoff rankings. And we will do these rankings every week on Tuesdays for Pigskin Frenzy. Now, week nine preview and predictions before we conclude today's episode of Pigskin Frenzy. Now, Duke at Louisville. Duke's 5-2, and two, Louisville's 6-1, and one, and Louisville coming off of a bye week after losing a tough one to Pitt. Duke... Coming off of a tough breaking heart, breaking loss against Florida State, something's got to give. Now, the keys to this game for both teams, and when you look at both, they really kind of need a win here. So, when you look at Duke, will this is the key for Duke to win this ball game? Will Riley Leonard? It's more of a question key. So, will Riley Leonard be full go or will he be limited? And what I mean by that is, will he be full on ready to go or is he going to be limited because of his ankle? That's a tough one, and he's a big component of their offense. Louisville needs to slow down the run. I think Jaquez Moore proved to be a factor in that Florida State game, even though Duke lost the game. Jaquez Moore put up 110-plus yard, yards on the ground. I think it was like 114, if I'm not mistaken. It was, if I'm not mistaken, 110, 110 yards against Florida State's defense, so they need to slow down the run. Jaquez Moore and Duke, I mean, listen, Louisville had a tough time uh, slowing down the run a little bit against Pitt. They need to slow down the run right here against Duke. So, who do I have one in this ball game? Close game. I think Louisville takes it. I think Louisville wins a close one. They're coming off of a bye. I favor them right now because they're coming off of a bye with revenge on their mind. They felt like they shouldn't have lost to Pitt. They feel like they're confident in themselves coming off the bye. I think Louisville wins the game close. I think Louisville wins by a score of 24-21. Louisville 24, Duke 21, and Duke becomes 5-3, while Louisville goes 7-1. Next up, Georgia versus Florida. I'm not going to say the rivalry name on here, but you already know if you're an SEC fan and a Georgia and Florida fan. Georgia 7-0, Florida 5-2 in Jacksonville. Now, here are three things that I got to think about when you think about this game. Will the Georgia offense look different without Brock Bowers? That is a big question because Brock Bowers is going to be out for the pretty much the remainder of the four to six weeks, pretty much the remainder of the regular season due to that type rope ankle surgery. They're coming off of a bye week from Vanderbilt. Or are they going to look different without Brock Bowers on the offense? Now, my question to that answer is yes. I think they're going to look a little bit different without Brock Bowers. I think Brock Bowers was a big part of that team and a big part of that offense. So here's their, here's their key. This leads into my key for Georgia. 
They need to find a way to get Lad McConkey as their go-to guy. Wide receiver Lad McConkey is an absolute animal. He is a he is a pretty much a, a solid football player for this offense. And if you get him going, Lad McConkey can be a hard guy to stop. So find Lad McConkey as the go-to guy in place of Brock Bowers in the playbook for the weeks to come. Now. For Florida to win, and this is their key, Graham Mertz just needs a huge game. He needs a big game. He needs to find the correct matchups. He needs to throw the ball around a lot, be confident in himself to pull off this big upset. Florida is number two along with Missouri in the SEC East. Georgia is number one. Who do I have winning this ball game? I think this game is going to be close at halftime, but I and this is my heart, I think in the second half, Georgia runs away with it. I think Georgia's going to run away with it. I think Georgia wins the game, and they run away with it, and they cover. I think it's going to be a 31-17 to game. Uh, I, well, I don't think they really cover necessarily. I think they almost cover, but not really. But they pull away in the second half. Georgia 31, Florida 17. And I think Florida I think Florida goes to 5-3 and three, while Georgia goes to 8-0. Georgia 31, Florida 17. They pull away in the second half and defeat Florida and kind of put them back in the SEC East race with Missouri coming up on November 4th next Saturday. Georgia wins that one, 31-17. Now, tricky game. And these are the last two games before we conclude today's episode. Tricky game here, Tennessee at Kentucky. Both 5-2. and two. Both kind of need a win a little bit. Kentucky did not play this past week. Uh, they had a uh, they lost the last game they played was against Missouri. They lost. Tennessee lost to Bama. Back-to-back road games for Tennessee. Kentucky needs a win. Tennessee needs a win. And the thing is, between these two teams, this game could go either way. It's a tricky game. They're in a spot, right? Tennessee's in a spot right now. Or if they lose, they're out of the top 25. For the playoff selections as well. For Kentucky, if they win, they're in, they're back in the thick of things in the rankings. So when you look at it, it's kind of one of those games where it's tricky, right? Uh, it's like Run DMC said, uh, it... it it's tricky, 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 tricky. Okay, whatever, but you, you catch my drift. So, tricky game for both. Now, the keys to this one, slow down the running game for Kentucky if you're Tennessee's defense. I would slow down Ray Davis because I think he's going to be a component in this game. He leads the SEC in rushing yards currently. He is a, he is a, a beast of a running back on the ground. Uh, he put up near 300 yards against Florida alone, the team that Florida, the uh, in Tennessee, Florida beat Tennessee. So, I think right now in what Alabama did on the ground game, I would try to find a way to, to stop that. A&M's a good running team. And A&M, they kind of slowed a and, and, and they they kind of slowed A&M down a little bit on defense. Tennessee ran the ball a lot on Alabama on A&M. Uh I would say I would say establish a, a a process where you slow down the running game for Kentucky and slow down Ray Davis. Now for Kentucky to win, you need to establish a flow in the passing game with Devin Leary. If Devin Leary can get into a consistent rhythm and flow of the offense and take control and command of that offense through the air in the passing game, I think Kentucky is a tough team to beat, and I think that Kentucky will could find a way to to pull this one out. Who do I have one in this game? Close game, close game. I'll even say it will be tied within the remaining last seconds of the game, but someone ends up breaking off for a score. 
I think Kentucky is that team, and I think Kentucky wins it. I think Kentucky wins by a score of 27-20. Kentucky wins. Kentucky 27, Tennessee 20, and Tennessee goes to 5-3, and three, while Kentucky goes to 6-2 and two and becomes bowl eligible. Kentucky gets a win at home late and close against a, against a solid Tennessee team. I think this is a close game for both teams. Could go either way. I got Kentucky beating Tennessee to go 6-2. and two. Now, last game before we conclude today's episode of Pigskin Frenzy, Oregon at Utah. Oregon at Utah. Oregon 6-1, Utah 6-1. Key to the game is this game is all is at home for Salt Lake City. Utes are going to arise. The Ducks are not afraid. Dan Lanning's not afraid. I can't wait for this game. Game day is going to be there. It's the game of the week for sure. Keys to the game. I think Utah needs to slow down Oregon's running game. It's a little bit different for USC. They had a component and plan in place to stop USC's offense. Oregon's a little bit different. I think the running game, it will be established. It's as according to what Bucky Irving does. I think Bucky Irving is probably, if not the best running back in the conference. And I think that Bucky Irving is a guy that you need to watch out for specifically. They got a handful of running backs in that Oregon locker room, but... When you look at that team and you look at that running game and what they do, they're top 10 in, in running and on offense. Uh, I, I, I would try to figure out a way to slow down that running game if I'm Utah. When you look at Oregon and what they need to do, I think a good key right here is find the perfect matchup with Troy Franklin. Uh, line him up against you know anybody that he could go up against. He may could go up against a Sion Vakai. Uh, if he could go up against a Sion Vakai, then maybe maybe there's a you can slip a couple of passes to Troy Franklin and let him and let him cook and let him work. Troy Franklin is one of the most underrated receivers in college football and it's been it showed in the Washington game even though they lost that game and it showed in a lot of their other wins including against Wazoo last week. Find the perfect matchup with Troy Franklin to see if you can get you know get some get some you know make him a big factor in this game pretty much and to try to win the game with you know by making him a factor. Who wins this game? Close game, I think. It's another close game. I honestly think, though, in the end, Oregon does enough to pull away and beat Utah. Oregon gets the win, and they beat Utah probably by a score of 31-24. I say Oregon wins 31-24. Oregon 31, Utah 24. Utah's a solid team, but I think Oregon is just a tad bit better right now, and they are a little bit more complete in other as- in, in, in the aspects of the game than Utah. 31-24, Oregon wins it, and Utah goes to 6-2, and two, while Oregon goes to 7-1 in the thick of things in the pack. 12. That just about does it for Pigskin Frenzy. A big thank you for taking some time out of your th- Tuesday to just sit back and watch and listen to some college football coverage presented by me. Now, if you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe to the channel, like each episode, and leave comments down below. If you're listening on Podbean, Spotify, and Apple, share around with others and follow on there as well. X, Facebook, and Instagram, all you got to do is just type in Pigskin Frenzy, like each episode, uh, just, you know, follow, like the pages there. You'll get episode updates. You'll get news and highlights from across college and NFL football. You'll also get trivia questions on Instagram stories. Go and answer today's once again, as well as all things up to date for Pigskin Frenzy. Now, we will be back Thursday for a, you know, NFL edition of Pigskin Frenzy. A lot's happening in the NFL. We'll recap, uh, you know, week seven of the NFL, and we will look ahead to week eight of the NFL Thursday. 
I'm Joel Norris signing off. We will see you Thursday for that edition of Pigskin Frenzy. And for everybody out there, stay the course.